0: This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Alright, they're in Florida somewhere, hanging out on a beach, sipping virgin drinks, and just hanging out. Um, yeah, they're probably watching online right now from from the beach, and so welcome, Pastor Jess and Dave. Um, but they're away, to send their love. Um, They miss you guys, I'm sure, but they're probably excited to be on a beach, hanging out, relaxing. But that means uh, I'm up. I'm up to bat. And so you guys are in for a treat. Some of you guys just got a little worried. You're like, what does this mean? What's about to happen? Well, my name's Harmon. I'm the associate pastor here uh, at Journey Church, and I'm so excited to uh, finish off our series, All In. Have you guys been excited about this series, All In? Okay, I, I feel it in the room a little bit. Some of you guys are like, man... I thought this was, series was over last week. Why are we back here? What is happening? Do we need to talk about finances anymore? I think we got the, the picture. But uh, no, I actually asked to Pastor Jess to finish this series because I feel like there's something on my heart that I want to share about being all in. And so we're going to do one more week. Are you guys okay with that? One more week of all in. And I get, today I get to share a little bit about my story. And, and some of you know my story, um, but see me standing here in front of you today, um, if you were to look at the cards that I was dealt in my life, it wouldn't equal a pastor preaching here today. Um, see, for some of you who know my backstory, um, I grew up in the Sikh faith, okay? So if you don't know who Sikhs are, all right? Drive to the Northeast, all right? And there's gentlemen with turbans and females as well. And they're usually walking in the evenings. They've got their hands behind their backs like this. <laughs> and they got that like light stroll, the slow stroll in the neighborhood. And uh, very humble people, peaceful people. But I grew up as a Sikh. My family uh, are all Sikhs. And, uh, and so you're probably wondering, how are you a pastor if you grew up as a Sikh? Well, there was um, an after-school program that I attended. I had a church here in the city called Beddington. And some of you guys might know that if you're from Church in the Hills. We're actually kind of like sister churches. Um, And at Beddington, uh, I came to this after-school program. And uh, the reason I went to the after-school program was because of um, girls, hot dogs, corn dogs, any kind of dog you can think of other than real dogs. We didn't eat real dogs. Um, And chocolate milk and Halo and all the wrong reasons to step into a church. But I walked into the drop-in center looking for all of those things, but I walked out with a renewed faith finding Jesus, learning who he was, and his, him completely changing and impacting my life. And you know what's crazy? We've talked about being all in and what it looks like when, when the people of God are generous. And I actually wanna take a moment to honor two people. Um, are Dixon and Rebecca here? Would you guys mind just standing up real quick? Can we give it up for these two? You don't even know why you're honoring them, but you're clapping, it's incredible. These two, uh, if you don't know, they actually used to serve on the board at Beddington, okay? They didn't always attend this church, Ooh. <laughs> like many of you maybe. Um, and I know, and you might not know this, but there was a day in one of those board meetings where a conversation came up and they said, hey, there is this after school program we want to run. There's this East Campus that we want to purchase, but it costs a lot of money. I'm not sure the exact dollar amount, but right now that building's worth about two million, and so I'm not sure how much it was worth back then. But that would have come across the board at some point. And in that moment, I'm sure there was a lot of other things that the board could have used with a million something dollars that they were gonna invest into this building. I'm sure there's people in that room going, can't we give this away to the poor? Why would we, why would we invest in another building? Don't we already have a building? I'm sure those conversations were happening, but someone in that room heard the voice of God and said, no, we need to purchase this building because there's ministry that's gonna happen in this building, and although I believe God is sovereign, I would not be standing here today if it wasn't for that place, if it wasn't for that East Campus that was purchased, if it wasn't for the youth ministry beginning an after-school program in that building, and me walking into that building for corn dogs, I don't know if I'd be here. I believe God is sovereign. I'm sure there's another way he would have found to save me. But he chose to use those people, that building, to save me. Isn't that incredible? And so I want to honor you because you would have been sitting at that board. And I'm like, I really hope you voted yes. Because if you voted vote no, you're like, we were the ones saying, don't open that place. No, no, they, I talked to them. They, they were for it. But I just want to honor you for that decision. Because although it might have been a small little minute in, the, in those notes, That that impacted my life. That changed my life forever. It changed the trajectory of my life and my family's life forever. So I want to honor you. But being born and raised in a Sikh faith came with its challenges. And so as soon as I remember getting saved, I had this crazy experience with God at a retreat. I felt his presence, and they were talking about this guy named Jesus at the front, and so I gave my life to him. And in that moment, I felt excitement, but I also felt a ton of fear because I knew that the moment that I go home, I have to explain to my parents what this was all about, that I was at a church and that, that God spoke to me, that I, that I experienced something. And I remember I was 13 at the time when I got saved and I actually waited three years to tell my parents that I became a Christian. And the reason was, was because I was actually getting hired on at Beddington to become their junior high pastor. And I thought, okay, well, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna be a pastor working at a church, I should probably tell my family that I'm a Christian. <laughs> probably, be, probably be a good time now. And so I remember walking into the room and uh, seeing my mom and dad there, I sat them down. And I said, Mom, Dad, I gotta tell you something. I know you think I'm too young. I know you're gonna think I'm brainwashed. And, and for some reason, I thought 16 was better than 13, that I'd be much wiser at 16 for some reason. Looking back, I'm like, oh, that was probably a bad decision. But I remember looking at them and I said, I wanna follow Jesus. I remember my mom begins to cry, and I look at the look in my dad's eyes. My dad turns to me, and he says, Go be the son of a white man, because you're no longer a son. And to this day, that shakes me to my core, because words have power. And I realized in that moment, I'm looking at Jesus, going, Jesus, what is this all about? You said, If I follow you, you'll be faithful. If I follow you, things will be okay. And For me, it was almost the opposite. Following Jesus was one of the hardest decisions I ever made because it meant giving up my family. And I remember as I was getting discipled, at first I thought, you know what, I'm a Sikh and a Christian, I could do both. And then you realize, no, you can't serve two masters. You gotta choose. And in that moment, I chose, and that marked me. That changed everything. That changed the way I lived, the way I talked, the way I spoke. I realized if I was gonna follow Jesus, I'd have to be all in. This wasn't a choice that could be easily made. And so I go from the drop-in center to becoming a pastor and and, and that challenge isn't over. I still talk to my family and I still and I still speak to them and we're on good terms. Now people always ask me, how's your, your relationship with your and dad now? Like, I love my dad. You know, and imagine, imagine your kids. Some of you guys have had this. Your kids up to you and says you know what? I don't want to follow faith anymore mom dad I'd be devastated you've raised your child one way and they're choosing a different way I empathize with that it's a hard thing but I know that God has been faithful in my family just a couple testimonies that I would love to share with you one of them is it's kind of weird but uh, Marlborough Pentecostal Church okay if you don't know we're part of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada it's kind of like we're all like sister churches we all are like the same tribe And there's a church uh, in the northeast called Marlboro Pentecostal. And when my mom came here in uh, in 1984, she actually went to Marlboro Pentecostal Church to learn English. Okay? You know what's crazy? I got to go to that church and meet the women who ran the English program and listen to them how they used to pray for my mom. That they were sowing seeds into my mom of faith while she was learning English. And although she didn't come to Christ... I did. You see, we have the opportunity to impact others, and we might not know how that might affect them even generationally. You might not even see the fruit of your labor till the second or third generation, but I know that they were sowing seed for me. The things that they were speaking into my mom while she was pregnant with me, I wonder. wonder if that had an impact. I wonder if God was doing something there. You know, a couple, couple years ago, my cousin... You know, after I became a Christian, my family kind of really tried to, you know, they don't want me hanging out with my cousins who are younger than me. They don't want me to influence them, and I get it. You know, I, I went off and became a Christian. They're like, keep the other kids away from him. <laughs> he's, he's a little crazy. And uh, I remember my cousin comes up to me, and I've never pressured him into reading the Bible or anything, and he, he comes up to me like kind of frantic, kind of scared, and he goes, Har- "Harmon, Harmon, can Jesus show up in your dreams? And I go, this is out of the blue. No idea where this is coming from. And I go, yeah? What do you mean? And he said, well, I had this dream, and Jesus was there. And what's powerful is, with my cousin, I got to read the book of Luke and Acts together. We began to partner in relationship, and, and her, his mom shut it down pretty quick. But it was kind of cool to see how, man, God is encountering people. Even though I'm not overly super preachy in that moment, God is bringing people to me, even within my own family, who are encountering him. And so I know God's not done with my family, and God's not done with your family. Continue praying for the people in your life that God would encounter them. Today, I want to talk to you guys. My sermon's titled, From Obligation to Opportunity. Okay? Have you ever done something in life solely out of obligation? Can I get some hands? Anybody? When I think of something in my life that I had to do out of obligation, I'm taken back to, like, band class. You know, I think of, like, first day of junior high, and, uh, you know, it's your first... First time in in life that you get to pick your own classes. There's something called options, and you get to pick what you're gonna do, and I was a little band nerd, and I was like, I'm gonna go into band. And I remember the first day of junior high, I really wanted to play the drums, because girls love the guys who play the drums. That was just, that's what I thought, right? I was like, I don't wanna play a trumpet. Who wants to date the guy who's playing trumpet? Nobody. So I remember I I show up to band class. If you're a trumpet player, I'm so sorry. I show up to band class, and I'm like pumped. I'm like, oh, teacher, like, I've been thinking about this. I've been practicing this. I would love to play the drums. And she goes, well, have you ever played drums before? And I go, no, but like, I'm a natural. Like, please. And uh, so she puts on the metronome, and she's like, can you just try to hold a beat? And I'm just like, I'm playing on the wrong notes. I've never held sticks in my hand. And she goes, you know, I think you might be better on the baritone. And I remember just thinking, no, no, I want to play the drums. And she's like, no. Like, and if you don't know what the baritone is, it's like the mini tuba. Okay, have you seen a tuba? It's like the miniature version. I wasn't even strong enough to play the tuba because I couldn't lift it. I had to play the miniature version of the tuba. And so I remember very quickly in band class, that just became like a little bit of an obligation. You know, I treated band class the way I would treat math class. I would study and cram for the test, but never, it wasn't really a passion of mine, you know. But I got to hang out with the trombones and we were the bass section. It was cool. Uh, But I wanted, you know, I wanted something cool. I wanted something fun. And I I ended up with an obligation. And this was something that I had to continue doing for three years. I kept doing band, but I never was in love with it. It wasn't something that I was like passionate about. I just had to play the baritone. I was a part of the band. I got my credits. It It was good. And see, if you know anything about music, music isn't supposed to be played Out of memorization, music is something you must feel, right? And the worship leader said, amen, right? It has to be a part of you. And so ultimately, I quit. You know, after grade nine, I was done. And the reason was is that it wasn't something I was passionate about. And this is the truth that I've learned, is that nothing great will ever be built on a spirit of obligation. If you have to do something, not much will come of that you have to be there if you have to do it and what I would love to do is to have a change in perspective to say I'm thankful for the baritone I love the baritone I'm passionate about the baritone the baritone is a privilege so the truth is is that the church cannot be built with a spirit of obligation over the last few weeks, Pastor Jess has been highlighting people in the Bible and their relationship with money. And one of the weeks, she highlighted King David. And he was a man of passion. And I think you have to decide in your life, what are you going to be passionate about? What is the thing that's going to make up your time? And so David, we see much of his life. See, we discover him in the book of 1 Samuel. He's, he's one of eight sons. And the prophet Samuel comes looking to anoint the next king of Israel. And so he goes to Jesse's house and, and says, do you have any sons? And, and he's got eight sons. And so he, he brings in the first seven sons. And Samuel looks at them and he goes, nope, 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 nope. no the, None of these guys are going are, are gonna to work out. Do you have any more sons? And he goes, ah, I got one more, but he's a shepherd. And he says, bring them in. What I love about David's life is it starts in obscurity before it walks into notoriety. David represents all of us who have been overlooked or forgotten. Even his own dad didn't see the potential in his life. But let me tell you, what God sees in you is so much more than what people see in you. I love that on the kitchen floor, David goes from shepherd to king with one encounter with God. The next scene, we see David going to visit his brothers out on the battlefield, and there's this 10-foot-tall giant we sang about named Goliath. And he strikes fear into every man. And so they're stuck in the valley of Ella. And Goliath is saying, send somebody to fight me. David, 17 years old, shows up on the scene and can't believe that there's not one warrior who won't fight Goliath. And he says, is there not a cause? I'll fight him. So he goes on to take, this, take on this 10-foot-tall giant, and they say that he puts on Saul's armor, and he actually ends up taking it off. He says, I can't go the way you want me to go. i got to go the way that God's called me to go. So he goes and takes on this 10-foot-tall giant with just a sling shot in his hand. And he says, Giant, you come against me with a sword and with a spear and a javelin, but I come against you with the name of the God of Israel, whom you have defied today. I will cut off your head! And give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and all will know whose God is really God. David was a trash talker. (laughs) We see these epic moments. David comes into Israel, and people will say things like Saul's slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. He becomes a fugitive in Israel because Saul is so angry and jealous. Of David but regardless of the position that David goes into he never loses his purpose I like David you know his life is full of ups and downs I like him because he's just a little bit emotional right and I'm not emotional I'm just very even keeled no no I, I like David because he reminds me of me a little bit he's got his ups and downs And so you see, David has these ups and downs, good days and bad days, but even with all the inconsistency in David's life, the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. But you see, the Bible doesn't leave or hide people's humanity. He was also a murderer. He had an affair. But even through all of those inconsistencies, one thing always remained is he had a passion for the Lord and a passion to build God's house. He wanted to see a move of God. He wanted God's presence. And I think I relate to David, yes, because I'm a little bit emotional, a little bit up and down, but also because I love God's house. See, when you study the life of David, he didn't have to build God's house. No, he wanted to build God's house. He didn't have to be there. No, he wanted to be there. He didn't see the obligation. He saw the opportunity. When I see God's house All I see is opportunity. I found my wife in God's house. That was a good day. That was a really good day. My best friends were formed in in God's house. I found forgiveness in God's house. I learned leadership. I had people speak words over me. All of this happened in, in God's house. And like David, zeal for his house consumes me. It's a verse up there in Psalm. Do you have it? If you can throw it up. Next one. Next one. We'll go back to these, don't worry. Next one. (laughs) I've skipped a lot. Next one. There we're gonna keep going. We're gonna keep going. I'll come back to these. It's okay, we'll find it later. It's fine. (laughs) Zeal for your house consumes me. No, that's the last one. You're you're we're we're not on the same page right now, my brother. We're not on the same page. There we go. Oh! My bad, my bad, my bad. Zeal for your house consumes me. And that's true of me. And so I don't know what area of life that you're thinking of right now, but some of you are looking through the lens of obligation. Is your marriage an obligation or an opportunity? Is your schooling an obligation or is it an opportunity? Are your kids an obligation Or are they an opportunity? Your job, not not the next one you want, not the one that you're looking to get, the one you're in. Is that an obligation or is that an opportunity? Your health, hello, is that an obligation or is that an opportunity? See, if you can change the lens, you can walk with passion and you can give more than what's required because you aren't focused on the obligation, you're focused on the opportunity. See, here's the truth, is if we continue to look at building God's house like playing the baritone, we are going to be plagued with an obligation. But if we begin to see the opportunity in God's house, we're going to discover there's a privilege. There's a privilege here. We're privileged to be here. I want to read, uh, we're going to go back to those verses we just skipped over. First Chronicles 29 It's a powerful passage, and it's actually a prayer that King David prays for us, all of us in this room. And so let's let's read this together. But who am I, and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on this earth are like a shadow without hope lord our god all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you i know my god that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity all these things i have given willingly and with honest intent and now i've seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people. What does it say? Forever. And keep their hearts loyal to you. See, this is David's prayer for us, that this would be something that is in our hearts. It's who we are. It's what we're about, building God's house. And so You know, I think Pastor Jess has mentioned this a couple times over the last couple weeks. Pastors often get very guarded when they talk about money. And I think the reason is that that the church has often sometimes abused the people of God. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind are things like uh, televangelists. I don't know if you've seen them ever on TV. No one watches TV anymore. But uh, maybe you've watched some documentaries of churches that have just failed You know, and they would say things back in the 90s like, you know, spend $70 on this miracle water and we'll send it to you so you can be healed. That's garbage, okay? You can email me. I'm sorry if you got healed with miracle water. I will, I will, but that's just garbage, okay? That's garbage. You don't have to pay for God's presence. You don't have to pay to have entry into church. That's not what it's about. And so I think this uneasy feeling that pastors often get that I currently have talking about money Jesus never did. See, there's 215 verses on faith, 218 verses on salvation, and when it comes to money, there's 2,058 verses in the Bible about money. It's talked about a lot. It's in there a lot. And so if you're tired of just four weeks of of talking about money, let me just, I just want to, do you read your Bible? Because if you're reading your Bible, there's a lot about money in there. And here's my first point. To fight greed, we must activate generosity. You can't serve both God and money. See, Jesus knew something about the heart of men that when we turn to money, we turn it into a God. And and in that verse where it talks about you can't serve both God and money, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Jesus could have chosen any God, he could have chosen Baal or Pan, he could have looked at any of the other gods that people were serving. But instead, he chose to talk about money. And so, you know, we, we, we get this in church a little bit. You know, we, we come to church and we say, you got to follow Jesus with your whole life. And you're like, Amen. You know, we say, you got to give up your life. You're like, I'm in. We say, you got to give up your dreams. You got to give up your kids. You're like, Take them. I don't even want them, anyways. <laughs> and then we say, you got to surrender your finances. And you're like, Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on one second. Surrender your finances. See, money is not evil. It's the love of money that is evil. It's not wrong for you to have money. In fact, we pray that a lot of you do have money. It's just wrong when your money has you. Money doesn't make you greedy. It just magnifies who you are. No, no, like you were greedy when you were poor. We just couldn't tell. Right, like now, now, you got some money to spend on yourself. Now we can see you. Okay, you're a little bit greedy. I'm a little bit greedy. And Jesus is going to challenge us in this area. You say you're sold out. You say you worship Jesus. You say you've died to yourself. Okay, have you surrendered your money? And here is the opportunity to walk in obedience to break the back of greed by activating generosity we're gonna go to that next verse we are foreigners let's look at this we are foreigners and strangers in your sight as were all our ancestors our days on this earth are like a shadow without hope lord our god all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you see david got this he knew that the money in his hand wasn't money but it was seed seed that he could plant see the next generations rise up. So my second point here is to truly worship, it must be more than words. I wish I had more time to dive into this point, but you know, worship is not just the three songs that we sing on a stage. Worship is so much more than that. Worship is whatever you do. It's everything that you do. The Bible says "Says with me, whatever you do, you repeat this whatever you do do it unto the lord that's what scripture says do it unto the lord so everything is about worshiping god your family is about worshiping god your business is about worshiping god you're everything jesus said where your treasure is there you're also your heart will be check this out god is not after your money he's after your heart It just so happens that those things are in the same place. And so if you want to know what you worship, okay, Harmon, you're going a little hard on May long. Maybe just peel it back a little bit. If you want to know what you worship, we did this week two. Print out your credit card statement, and you'll see what you worship. It's not my words, Jesus. Where your treasure goes, there your heart will be also. And I want God's presence in our church. But we got to understand that true worship is more than just words. It's more than just words. I'm going to go to the next slide. This is what it says, David. He says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I've given willingly and with honest intent. See, David understood this. God wasn't after his money. No, no, no. God was after David's heart. And he said, God, this is all yours anyways. I'm giving it back. My third point today is that to reap in the future, we must sow in the present. See, David was so full of zeal and excited to build God a temple, but here's the thing, that David was never going to see the temple built. His only job was to financially set up the next generation, his son, to build the temple. Because his hands were covered in blood. So he couldn't build the temple. You know, could you imagine us being a church that goes, no, we're not just looking, about, not just looking at spending on ourselves, but we're looking at the generations to come that we're going to pour into the next generation. I want to be a church like that. That we look at the next generation and go, no, we're going to pass the baton early. So the truth is, you got to learn to reap. So you sow now so you can reap later. And so we often talk about the law of sowing, but we leave out the law of reaping in church. Because when the harvest does come, it does not mean that you go and spend the entire harvest. See, if you only learn to sow, you will be a bad steward. Trust me, friend, God will never bless a bad steward. And so when it comes to the harvest, you have to store some, replant some, sell some. You know, I feel like this should be taught in church. You know, if you're going to give 10%, you should probably save 10%, right? How about this year we live off 80% of our money? In our culture, we're taught, consume, consume, consume. Live beyond your means. Because of it, often we don't have good stewards. So practically speaking, what do you do? Do I just bring my whole paycheck to the church? No. No. Let's look at the principles in the Bible. Principle 1, tithes. And if you say, you know what? You know a lot of us committed last week to an obligation <laughs> to tithe. Maybe you can't do 10%. We'll start with 1 and work your way up. Come up with a savings plan. If you give 10, save 10. See when you are a good steward you are always in a place to be generous. You're always setting yourself up to reap a great harvest that God will do more in your life. And I really believe this. If you want an apple tree, you got to plant apple seeds. If you want a friend, then you got to be a friend. If you want love, you got to give love. This is this is a truth not just about money, it's about life. It is better to give than to receive. Uh, there's a couple testimonies that I'd love to share because I can feel it in the room right now. Everyone's just getting a little bit like, okay, all right, week four of this, week five of this. We get it, we get it, we get it. But what I want to share with you is that when you allow God to show you the opportunity, you can take off the spirit of obligation. See, there's so many people in my life that have blessed me that have blessed me because they saw the opportunity. The first person I want to mention, uh, he's passed away now. He's a mentor of mine. Some of you may know him. His name is Brian Wilcox. And uh, Brian, he's a Sunnyside camp guy. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to share this, but I'm going to share it. Um, my first picture of Brian, when I think of him, he's dead and gone. He's in heaven with Jesus. But he was at Sunnyside family camp. I will just, I'm i just going to say this is, how, this is what I experienced. It's not my beliefs what I experienced. I walk into Sunnyside family camp, it's my first time there, and Brian is sitting there playing bocce ball on the field, and he's throwing bocce ball, and he's got a cigar in his mouth, and I'm sitting there going like, do you guys see him smoking? I'm like, he's smoking a cigar on a Pentecostal camp. What is happening? They don't even allow alcohol here. What is happening? But that was Brian, He was just, he was one of those guys full of life. He would be the first person to shake your hand when you walked into church, and he smoked cigars from time to time. But he's a good guy. And Brian, see, he saw the opportunity. When I would be uh, (laughs) signing up for missions trips or retreats, you know, my parents weren't that eager to pay for me to go to these Christian camps. And I remember going to Brian and uh, I was, remember I remember raising uh, funds for the mission trip, we were going to South Africa and I remember going up and we're handing out letters like I'm sure some of you have received from the kids going to LA this summer like please give us some money and I remember going to Brian and I was saying hey would you be willing to just sponsor me just give me some a little bit of money so that I can you know pay to go to South Africa and Brian looks at me and he goes just come to me at the very end of your sponsorship like when you're done raising money, Come talk to me, and I thought this guy's so cheap, man. He wants to—he wants to pay as little as possible. And I'm like, he wants the very like last two dollars I'll give. Anyways, I, I tried raising money. I was very poor at it, and I get back to him, and he goes, "Well, how much is left?" And I go, "Well, it's about $1,100." And he hands me $1,100, and I go, "What?" I'm like, "That pays for my whole trip." He's like, "Yeah, I, I was planning on paying for your trip. I just didn't want to pay as much as you know. I wanted to wait till the end." I'm like, "Okay." All right. But Brian paid for my trip. And you know what's crazy? He paid for every single retreat that I ever went on as a youth. Because he looked at me and said, no, no, I see the opportunity in this kid. And that wasn't his tithe. Trust me, he tithed. That was above and beyond his tithe. And he gave to me. Another family that comes to my mind is uh, Dave and Ellen Clayton. And uh, I was teaching junior high class kind of like Josh is right now. I hope he hears this later. And there was one day I was cleaning up after junior high class, and we had, just let, we had released the junior highs, and our church was doing this trip to Israel. Okay, and uh, if, if, has anyone ever been to Israel? Some of you guys have gone, maybe. Maybe, yeah, I see I see that hand. Um, and the trip is expensive. It's like $5,000, $6,000. So I'm cleaning up at the end, and Dave walks in. He's one of our ushers, and he says, Hey, Harmon, are you going to Israel? And I go, No, man, I'm trying to pay for school. Like, I don't got the money. And he goes... That's not a problem. I'll pay for you. You're going. And this man spent $5,000 to send me to Israel. Okay? I don't know about you, but that's not normal. Okay? You don't spend $5,000 on somebody else's kids. Okay? I barely want to spend $5,000 on my own kid, okay? Let alone somebody else's. But no, Dave saw the opportunity, how that would impact my life forever, how I would be able to read the Bible in color how I would be able to go to the Valley of Ella and see where David fought Goliath. That I'd be able to stand on top of Mount Carmel and look. That I'd be able to walk where Jesus walked. That when I preached about Caesarea Philippi, that I could see where Peter's house probably was. All of these things. He saw the opportunity in me. And you know, think about Brian and Dave and Wilf and, and Ken are All these people who invested in my life. None of them None of them said to me, man, I hope this kid turns out to be the next Billy Graham. Man, I hope my investment in him pays off. No. They all just gave. They gave because they saw something in me, that God was doing a work in my life. And they saw the opportunity to invest in me. And I'm forever thankful. Man, some of you guys think I had it hard because I didn't grow up in church. No, man, I was a spoiled brat in church. I got paid for everything. Every single retreat, every missions trip, I got sent for free, sponsored all the way. I'm a sponsor kid. I don't have to pay a cent for anything because it was the generosity of others who looked at me. Before they even met me, they said, we're going to open up an after-school program. We're going to let those kids we're going to love on those kids. We're going to see what God will do. This story about Brian that I want to close with, he uh, he probably would hate that I'm sharing this, but it was actually shared at his funeral. Brian, very generous man, very wealthy man. And this is a story that his son shared at his funeral about how his dad would at all times keep $500 in his pocket in 50s. And that every day he would walk out and say, God, Who do you want me to bless? This is his son sharing his story at his funeral. And he said, day after day, I would watch my dad come home with empty pockets because he would find somebody to bless. What a legacy Brian left for his son and showed him, you know, we we have all this wealth, but it's not for us to store up. No, we're going to invest in people. We're going to send 20 kids to South Africa. We're going to send 30 kids to LA. I'm going to invest my life Into these kids because I see the impact that God's making on their life. You can tell I was a youth pastor at one point. But do you see the opportunity? See, if if we walk into this place with a spirit of obligation, man, we're not going to get much done. A lot of us signed those cards last week. We committed to four months of tithing. That's just obedience. Tithing is just obedience. It's just saying, God, I trust you at your word. I trust you at your word. I'm going to give 10%. But it's when we take hold of opportunity. When we say, God, I'm not going to treat this place like an obligation that I have to come to. And you guys are here on a long weekend, so I know none of you guys feel like that. You could be somewhere else. But man, let's, let's take off the spirit of obligation and put on the spirit of opportunity. My last point, to be blessed means... To be a blessing. Remembering the words of Lord Jesus Himself, Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. See, the truth is, is when, when you sow, God will bring a harvest. He will. Not just money, but souls, people, stories, impact, change lives, transformation. That's what happens when we give. And my life is completely transformed by the generosity of these people they chose to invest in me and so in this season what I want our church's focus to be is not men. we're talking a lot about finances we're talking a lot about tithing we're talking a lot about money no man see the opportunity see how God's house you the church is moving see how you can be involved see how you can take up opportunity don't make this an obligation it's better for you to be obligated to something else because this doesn't work if you're obligated. See the opportunity and sow into it. See, David saw that his money was not money but it was seed. Seed that would needed to be planted. And that's how I look at my life. Last story. I'm a storyteller. I'm sorry. A couple weeks ago um, I was going through my son's piggy bank with him and he's got 15 bucks in there and change. And uh, he said this phrase, and he said, Dad, what am I going to do with my money? And uh, I just, it the just, way he said it just irked me the wrong way. I don't know. I was just, I don't know if it was after Pastor Jess had like preached or something. And I was just like, that's not your money. And he's like, Dad, it's not your money. I'm like, no, it's not, I know it's not my money. That's God's money. And my wife is sitting on the rocking chair rocking our other baby, and she's looking at me like I'm crazy, arguing with this three-year-old. But no no, I want to train him in the right way. I wanna show him as he's growing up. No no listen, man. This isn't your money. This is God's money. This is God's resources. He's given to us. So we have shelter, we have food, we have a place, we can be generous. But this is this is God's money. So you're gonna give, you're gonna give a tenth of that fifteen bucks into a different piggy bank, which we're calling God's piggy bank. Anyways, we're not actually doing that yet, but it's it's coming. It's coming. But man, I would love for us to, just in closing, can we just stand in this place? I really love the song, The Goodness of God, because it talks about the faithfulness of who God is and how he has been faithful to you. And if you're sitting here and it's your first time in church, you're like, whoa, dude, that was intense. I want to tell you something. Following Jesus was the best decision I ever made in my life. And it's the same thing that I'd say to you, Following Jesus is the best decision you can ever make in your life. And so we're gonna sing this song. And maybe you don't know a faithful God. Maybe you're sitting there going, I don't, I don't know who you're talking about, man. I, I don't know about this God who's been faithful. I want you to test him. Say, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. And for the rest of us who call ourselves Christians, can we right now say, God, we take off the spirit of obligation we take off that spirit and we put on your spirit, the spirit of opportunity to see things the way that you see things, Jesus. So God, I pray for everyone in this room today. God, that you would encounter us, that you would shift our hearts, that you would change us from the inside, that we would not be the same, that we wouldn't walk into this house going, ah, I gotta be here again. No, God, but we we embrace the opportunity We embrace your spirit of what you're doing in this place. And we look for ways to give of our time, our talents, our money. We give everything to you, Jesus. So let's sing out about the goodness of God. Come on. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.